Oh my goodness, we are finally to SEC play. Can you believe it, Maddie? We are finally starting what everybody's here on this channel about. It's some good quality SEC matchups. It's a it's a great week. Maddie, what are you looking most forward to and what's going on? What New Year's resolutions do you have for some of these teams? You know, we're, we're going into the new year, and there are some teams that I think are hoping that their 2024 is going to have a much better outlook than 2023. You know, some teams like LSU, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and their resolution needs to be to get a win that is, you know, somewhat palatable at this point. Um, and then other teams, you know, like Kentucky um, and Tennessee are hoping to kind of stay where they're at and hopefully do some damage as they come into the new year, as everybody expects. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun trip. There's quad one wins like crazy coming out there um, in the first weekend. Uh, everybody's got a chance to really get their resume at the right spot. Um, there's a lot of SEC teams that have a chance at the NCAA tournament. Uh, and there's some high-quality matchups all coming in place. So for today, our guests, we have put together a best lineup we possibly could. We have the best bracketologist in the business uh, visiting us today in Bracket Dumb. He is the king. And then we're also talking to Blake Lavelle of Southeastern 14 and previewing what are going to be some great matchups uh, coming up here in the next couple of days. Uh, this is going to be a fun, fun show today on the Hoop Southbound Show. He ranks the number one in the country, according to the Bracket Project. He picked 67 out of 68 teams in the NCAA tournament correctly last season, and all 67 of those teams were plus or minus one seed line on his bracket. He scored 14 points better than Joe Lenardi and Andy Katz. He's a voter in the Rocking 25 poll. He holds the number one five-year ranking on the Bracket Project. He has been a contributor also on our SEC Bracket Grid Project for the last two years. He is the best bracketologist in college basketball. We welcome to the show, Bracket Dom. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. You said you had a good intro for me, and you absolutely did. I appreciate all of that. Doing great today. <laughs> I mean, when you introduce Muhammad Ali, the world champ, to somebody, you got to you got to get somebody. You got to give the credit. You got to nail. All those I love problems. it. The only downside now, now there's nowhere to go but up. All the pressure's on me now. So, I... <laughs> why are you not on a network yet? Like, like, let's be real. Like, you know, somebody <laughs> needs to pick you up and be like, "Hey, this guy, this guy right here, he knows what he's doing." <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you're gonna, if you're looking to hire someone, hire the best, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly all right well first off obviously congratulations on that ranking I, I don't know if um i don't know how if i got to tell you that since the last time i talked to you but dom since we are so blessed to have you in our presence and i will avert my eyes from your glory uh let's talk a little <laughs> sec today uh first question and the one that everyone wants to know who from the sec do you have in right now yeah absolutely so I'm actually going to be coming out with my first official non-preseason bracket, uh, first day of the year, a new year, new bracket. And right now, I'd actually have nine teams in out of the SEC. Um, Tennessee, obviously, I, it's it's too early to call anyone a lock, but it's about as close as you can to be in one. And then I would say A&M, Auburn, and Kentucky are all pretty safely in as well. So then that leaves five more teams that I currently have in that are kind of maybe in that bubble range, as you would call it. Um, first one, Old Miss. I don't think anyone expected to be the uh, to be them to be sitting here at undefeated at this point of the year, but they are. They have some solid wins, beat a really good Memphis team, so can't leave them out at this point. 
see if they keep it up. Um, and then the ones kind of maybe in that like 10, 11 seed range would be Bama, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Florida, who none of them have done anything to play themselves out of the field yet, but certainly have work to do if they want to stay there. And then the one other team I would just, of course, mention in that grouping would be Arkansas, who I do have out of the field right now, but could just as easily play themselves in as those four aforementioned teams could play themselves out. Yeah, so I definitely want to jump into these teams' uh, resumes a little bit and go into them. Um, but I do want to ask, I'm going to throw a quick audible here on Maddie, and then I'll let her ask the first question. Is there anybody you feel like is dead right now? Pretty much, like, the probability is heavily against them. I have one team in mind, um, but they may still be able to pull it out if they play extremely well in conference play uh, out of the SEC. Any any team like that right now that you have? Oh, asking me or asking Maddie? Oh, I was asking you, Dom. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I've got two, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> with the, I would say just with the strength of the SEC this year, it's hard to call any team dead. Any team could go on a run. Um, Vanderbilt would be the obvious one, just sitting yeah. at four and eight with some bad losses already. Theoretically, I mean, could they go undefeated in SEC play and get themselves an athletic resume? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, realistically, I would say they're the ones that are dead. And then any other teams that I didn't mention, maybe uh, Missouri, um, who I feel like are kind of dead right now, absolutely still could play themselves back into it. And it wouldn't be a huge shock like it would be with Vandy. Yeah, I, I felt Vanderbilt, uh, I for sure, just, just given where they are right now, is kind of <laughs> Louisville territory. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not particularly great right now. But Maddie, I'll let you ask the uh, first question about the teams that are in. I just wanted to get that Vanderbilt question <laughs> knocked out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I had LSU on my short list of not being able to get in either. But I, you, like like Dom said, you never know what's going to happen in conference play. So. <laughs> yeah. we'll see. But, Dom, I really want to talk to you today about Alabama. You know, this team yeah. has taken five losses in the non-conference but are ranked ninth in the net. Um, they're the only team in the top 35 of the net with five losses. Obviously, kind of a team that we've been saying, you know, the resume. They yeah. what their record is. So can you explain why they're in and why they're positioned so high? Yeah, just really because although they've taken five losses, they've taken five very good losses. I mean, when you they sort the wins and losses into quadrants, and all five of those losses are in Q1, which really Q1 losses don't hurt you. They're, they're good if you get them, but if you lose them, your resume kind of just stays where it is before. So if you look at the rest of their resume, they do have one Q1 win, uh, one Q2 win, and they don't have any losses outside of that first quadrant. Uh, so I would say the resume is really just kind of going to be very dependent on how they do in the SEC. None of those losses that they took out of conference, even though they seem like they piled up, are going to be what keeps them out. But since they didn't win many of those, they're going to have to win some of those games in conference play if they're going to get themselves in. So that's kind of why I have them like right at that 10, 11 seed range right now where they haven't really done anything to get themselves in, but haven't done anything to play themselves out either because none of those losses are ones that are going to hurt them. Yeah, and I, I figured that was going to be the case because that's that's what the computers and everything say. Also, their efficiency numbers are pretty yeah. pretty darn good as well. Um, how do they compare to everybody else? Yeah, I mean, they're top 10 in BPI, top 10 in Ken Palm, 
And those are the kind of things that matter a lot more for seeding than for selection. So I would say if Bama does do well in the SEC uh, enough to get themselves a bid, we might actually see them seeded a bit higher than expected. I mean, we might think, oh, maybe they did enough to get a 10 seed and suddenly they're a seven just because those predictive metrics are going to bump them up. But those aren't going to be the things that put them in either. If they start losing some bad games in the SEC, but those metrics are still up there, they can still easily fall out. So I would say it's it's funny. I have them as like a 10-11 seed right now, but I'd be very surprised to actually see them there by the end of the year. I think they either bump up into the single-digit seeds or just fall out completely depending on their conference play. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. All right, Tennessee and Kentucky, both of them are making strong cases here early in the year. Now, there's a ton of games and a lot can change, but what's separating them right now from, say, your top four seeds that you have in your bracket? Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, Tennessee, I, I do have as one of my top four seeds. Oh, right I now. didn't catch that. So you do have yeah. Tennessee. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. Tennessee, I would have uh, it probably as a two or a three seed right now. I, they do have a fantastic resume. Um, pretty much, again, also top 10 in all those predictive metrics, but actually have the wins to back it up. I mean, they beat Illinois. Um, they beat Wisconsin on the road. Those are both not just Q1 wins, but Q1A wins. So those ones that really bump you up. Um, and three wins in Q2 as well. So and they're just racking up the good wins. They only have good losses in the loss column. And their predictive and their resume metrics are all good. So there's nothing really to knock them out of the top four seeds. Kentucky would be the one where I'm liking what I'm seeing from them a lot. But they do have that loss to UNCW, um, and they really only have the one good win against North Carolina. That's a very good win, but outside of that, their best wins are Miami and St. Joe's, which are barely in that Q2 range. So although they have everything they need to move up into those top four seeds if they do well in conference play, I don't think they're quite there yet with Tennessee. I got you. Um, so... As far as how much is that UNCW game impacting Kentucky's seeding right now, just out of curiosity? I would say it's probably knocking them down maybe one, two max. What helps them is that UNCW actually isn't a terrible team. Right, they're pretty good, yeah. Yeah, even though that was a home loss, that's still only a Q3 loss. And usually when you lose to those type of teams at home, that's Q4 for sure. And it's pretty solidly in Q3. It's not even in that like scary zone of dropping to the fourth quadrant where those losses really kind of hurt you. So right now I would have Kentucky probably at about a, a six seed. And maybe if it weren't for that one, I'd have them probably at like a high five. So it's really not killing them just as long as they don't pick up more Q3 losses in conference play to where that's just kind of piling on the rest of them. But one Q3 loss, it will not tank a resume at the end of the year by any means. Fair enough. Okay, well, we talked about this team two weeks ago on our show, and we were talking about them a little bit before uh, we recorded here, and uh, I became the most hated person in Oxford, Mississippi this week, and a hero apparently in Starkville to some. Uh, so, But I want to ask about Ole Miss. Ole Miss is undefeated. They're ranked in the top 25. Why are they not so much in like the top 16? Uh, where First off, where do you have Ole Miss? I, I'm pacing this off of other brackets I've seen so far. For sure. Right now, um, I, I'm still kind of workshopping. I have them right on that border of like an eight or a nine seed. So okay. they're like right there solidly in that eight, nine game range. 
Okay, so I, I this is perfect. Then I'm glad I at, phrased this question. Well, why are they not say in your top 16? Uh, and yeah. um, you know they're undefeated. This is more of a question for like Ole Miss fans who may you know are wanting to know this because it's an undefeated team. They've beaten the teams that are in front of them. Why are they not higher? Sure, sure. Really, just two factors there. One, um, fair or not, the predictive metrics don't like them at all. The the BPI and Ken Palm both have them out of the top 75. And those are the type of things that, again, don't affect your selection into the tournament. But once you're in, those are the things that are going to kind of drop your seed down, fair or not. I mean, I, I personally, I think there's a little too much emphasis on those predictive metrics, but uh, that is what it is. And until they start beating teams by more and blowing some teams out, which is what's going to get those back up, that's going to lower their seed based on what the rest of the resume would say. And on the resume itself, although it's good as they're undefeated, they don't have any real quality wins. Even that win against Memphis is a Q2 win since it was at home. They're right now 0-0 zero and zero in Quadrant 1. So they'll certainly have plenty of chances in the SEC to get those Q1 wins. But right now, without having played a single Q1 game, and being low in the predictive metrics, like I said, that just makes it really hard to move them any higher than that 8-9 seed range. So it's kind of like they got an anchor on their resume that's just kind of <laughs> holding them back until they start winning some big games. Totally. Exactly. Totally get it. All right, but Maddie. for sure, if they like, if they go into the SEC and their first two wins or Q1 wins, they're, they have that type of resume that can easily shoot up as well. It's not like they're going to need to do a lot to get into that top four seed range. Just you add two Q1 wins to that resume, it, it could skyrocket. So they they certainly have the potential to go up. They just need to get those good wins to, to go there. For sure. Definitely makes sense. Maddie, uh, oh. I think you got the next question. <laughs> yeah. So, Dom, uh, when it comes to Texas A&M, where do you have them seated right now? All right. Let me pull up Texas A&M. I believe I had them right around that same range. Yes. Yeah. I had Texas A&M. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Texas A&M. I had them as a five seed. I have them currently as a five seed and their resume is looking pretty solid at the moment. Um, here, let me pull up the notes I had on them. Yeah. Just they're one of the few teams in the countries that already have three Q1 wins, which is a lot. Um Sure, they have four losses already, but three of those four losses are also Q1 as well. So they have four losses. Three of them are very good losses. And the other one is the Memphis loss, which although that's Q2, Memphis is a very good team. So the committee wouldn't even look down on that loss as much. And then wins over Iowa State at Ohio State and even at SMU, all Q1 wins that are certainly boosting their resume up as well. Only reason they're maybe not in the top four yet is just because they just don't have much meat on their resume in the middle. Um, outside of all those Q1 games and the Memphis game they played, pretty much the rest of the games they played are Q4. So that's kind of maybe bringing down some of their metrics a little bit. But they certainly have the, the Q1 resume that one of those top four seed teams could have if they keep winning games in the SEC when they constantly play good opponents. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was going to bring up, you know, um, even though they are Q1 wins, they're, in my opinion, you know, kind of those lower Q1 wins. So just interested to see, you know, how you had them rank so high. Um, well, I would say, uh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, even though they might seem like lower Q1 wins, what's interesting is just given where some of those teams are in the net right now, because they separate Q1 into Q1A and Q1B, 
Um, and the Ohio State and the Iowa State wins are actually both considered Q1A right now as it currently stands. Now, there's moving parts there with that, and I could easily see both of those wins not be viewed as, as good as they are right now. Um, but right now, when seeding them, I'm just kind of going off where those wins currently are. So that's what gets them to that current level. But if Iowa State starts faltering a little bit, Ohio State falters a little bit, and those wins aren't nearly as good looking as they are now, SMU, I think, probably drops to Q2. That's the they'll, one. They'll have some work to do in the SEC to keep that resume where it is right now. Because I those wins look awesome at the moment. I just don't think by the end of the season they are as good. So they better get some good wins in the SEC to replace them. For sure. I was super high on Texas A&M going into the season. So I'm interested to see how it plays out for them. Um, but let's talk about everyone else. Is there a team in the SEC who's not in right now that's kind of shocking to you? Um, well, that would have to be Arkansas right now. Um, I Going into the season, I thought they would be a little bit worse than everyone was projecting. Uh, a lot of people were saying they were like a top four seed type team. I think in my preseason bracket, I had them as around an eight seed. But still, I thought that was me being low on them. And now... I don't have them in, and I don't think many people would have them even in at all. So I was I was kind of patting my own back and was like, ah, see, they aren't as good as people thought, but I didn't even think they would be quite this low. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's kind of strange, and I this is why um, I, want, we, I wanted to phrase this question this way, and I'm glad Maddie asked it the way she did. Arkansas's resume, and this is what's very curious to me, in 2022, they the 21-22 season, they ended up being a four seed at the end of the year. Um, they lost a Hofstra uh, in Little Rock, that, and that was a Q3 loss. Their resume is actually kind of similar to this year's team, but the difference was last year at this point, or not last year, two years ago at this point in time, people still kind of had Arkansas in despite the fact they didn't have a Q1 win. What's going on really with Arkansas's resume under the water? Yeah, I would just say it's just there's not much on it right now. There's the Duke win, which is great, Q1 great win. win. And then there's the UNC Greensboro loss, a Q3 loss. Really, it's not this simple, but you can almost kind of say those just kind of cancel each other out. And if you cancel those two out, outside of that, they're 0-3 in their other Q1 games and haven't even played a single Q2 game. So if you can't, if say you swap them and they had beat UNC Greensboro and they had lost to Duke, They'd have no Q1 or Q2 wins and just have a bunch of kind of middling wins there at the bottom. Now, that Duke win is, is very good. And if they start piling up some more wins later on, they could certainly skyrocket back up like they did a few years ago. But uh, a few years ago back then, they still did have some of those like middling wins that when you just look at the resume without the stats don't look great, but they're still Q2 wins. Or like they beat a, a decent team on the road, just right now, outside of that Duke win, they don't have any wins of note. And that UNC Greensboro one's kind of just canceling that out. So now when you look at it, there's just about nothing on the resume to put them in. So that's really it. It's not more that Arkansas lost to UNCG. It's that outside of those two games, there's not really anything to just build the resume off of to put them in the tournament. Is that really what I'm, what you're saying? Exactly. Because, I mean, all their uh, other wins, I mean, if they just had, like, a couple, like maybe two wins that were, you wouldn't think Q2 you would bat an eye at, but would be, like, a Q2 win, that would be enough to kind of keep them right there in the bubble range. It's just the fact that they don't have any wins that are even medium good wins outside of the Duke one. It's just 
a bunch of losses, the one good Duke win, the one bad loss, and absolutely not. Their next best win is Stanford or Lipscomb. I mean, it's, those aren't the wins that are uh, of a tournament team right now, but they'll have their chances for sure. Yeah, I mean, they've got a gauntlet to play in SEC play, and I, I know that, you know, they got Auburn coming up that we're going to talk about with Blake on yeah. this show in a little bit. All right, so I wanted to ask, every year it seems like there's like slight adjustments that are made to the net um, here or there in the way that they process things. Is there anything this season that's changed that you're aware of that really fans should be aware of? Only thing I would say, uh, and I am I have no idea how they're going to factor this in, but like last year on the team sheets, um, there were two, they gave the, the committee five metrics to look at. Two of them, result-based metrics, the KPI and the strength of record, um, and three predictive metrics, BPI, Ken Palm, and Sagarin. Uh, what's interesting is Sagarin actually isn't doing college basketball rankings this year. So that one's just pretty much going off the team sheet. So now the committee is only going to have four metrics on the resumes to look at. And Sagarin was one of the ones that was more of a, a predictive metric than a metric based on just like who you beat, who you lost to, uh, what we call a result-based metric. So with one less metric on the team sheet and it being one of those predictive ones, I'm not sure if they're just going to weigh the other predictive metrics a little bit more, or maybe there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on those result-based metrics that actually are just who you beat and how good your wins and losses are. So yeah, it, it's something worth noting. Um, I have no idea what impact it'll have, but I, it could have one. It could not have one. It's just something I, I thought was a little interesting and could definitely maybe have an impact. Okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely under, that's something that you just don't read normally on the NCAA website yeah, is, yeah. is, hey, we're not using this metric anymore. That's that's a random piece of news, but I can see how that yeah, can be. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely, yeah, not something that to the, to the common fan has any impact at all, but this year, when they come out with their top 16 ranking a few weeks, uh, months before, and things aren't where I expect it to be, that might be the first thing I look at. Like, oh, did this have an impact that I didn't expect? So, <laughs> Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting. Hey, Dom, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Always great sitting down with the king of bracketology. Um, where can everyone find you at uh, and your work? Absolutely. Yeah, um, follow me on Twitter, at BracketDom. Um Post pretty much recaps of all the important bracket affecting games uh, each day on there. And on my Twitter page as well, you can find a link to uh, my brackets on bracketometry.com. Uh, uh, and as I said, right now, if you go there, you'll just see my preseason projection, but always come out with my first bracket of the year, uh, first day of the year. So January 1st, you can check there and see where I have every team based on what they've done so far. Yeah, and this episode will be coming out on New Year's Day, so his bracket. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, when you're listening to this, I'll probably be releasing it at about the same time. So yeah, yeah, it might be a couple hours later because we release it first thing in the morning. But like, yeah, it, yeah, right around that time frame, just be checking around. You know, you know, it'll be perfect. it'll be there. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Dom. Thank you, absolutely. Anytime. Have a good one. I want to thank Dom again for coming on the show. He, he's a great bracketologist. He, he's a blast to have on there. We give other bracketologists a hard time for the national media guys, but this guy, I'm telling you folks, if you do not follow Dom, you really, really need to. He is one of the best in the business. And I, I, I love his insight. It's not crazy right now on the SEC, but it could get that way. So he's he's a great follow. Matty, what were, what were some of the big takeaways you had with Dom? You know, one of the big things I, I love about having Dom on is just he's so knowledgeable and he's also more, I guess, 
gives you more understanding that than, you know, like you said, Joe Lenardi or Andy Katz, when you go into it as, you know, just your average basketball fan, he gives you the why and how and how to lay everything out. And I think, you know, he's got some great projections for the SEC and then some that, you know, he mentioned there are some teams that could skyrocket and there's teams that completely fall off. So, you know, it's definitely something that we're going to keep a closer eye on as we go through this SEC conference play. Speaking of those teams that can skyrocket or fall out, which way it's going to go, we're going to talk a little bit about what the SEC has to offer coming here in conference play and take a look at the first weekend of conference play today with Blake from Southeastern 14. Uh, really great interview, great conversation. So here is Blake. And we welcome to the show today from Southeastern 14, the basketball guy, Blake Lovell. Blake, how are you doing today? Good, the basketball guy. Uh, that's that's always a good introduction. Like, if you're trying to talk about basketball, just be known as the basketball guy, right? So, no, yeah. I, I'm doing well, um, you guys. And we were just talking before we started recording. And just want to say this up front. You guys didn't pay me to say this, but you do a great job. I love watching your stuff. And we were talking about we're kind of the only group, I think, that just focuses solely on SEC basketball. There's not many of us out there that do that. But um, I appreciate your coverage and, and excited for the conversation. Yeah, well, I love watching you guys, as I mentioned to you before we started recording today. It's kind of mutual respect back and forth between the uh, between the two of us right now. We loved having Max on earlier in the year, and that uh, we're just excited to have you on today. And of course, we call you the basketball guy because that's how you always introduced yourself in every Twitter space I've ever been in with you. So uh, it, it just makes sense. Um, Blake, we've divided this segment into a few different categories, the top, the bottom, and really the questions. Blake, I want to ask, when you look at the SEC right now, who are your top teams? Because we have kind of our perspective, and I've noticed that it's similar, but you've got a few different teams the last time I watched y'all's power rankings, what you guys are kind of thinking. Yeah, well, you can blame Max for that. He usually is the one that disrupts, you know, the actual ranking that I would prefer. But, um, you know, we try to be honest to our our voting system. But, yeah, I mean, as you guys probably know, I mean, I've, I've said for a while now, you know, I came into the season saying I thought Tennessee was the best team. I don't think my opinions changed all that much on that. Although, yes, I'm I'm guilty of giving Kentucky a first place vote in recent weeks, just based on you know the talent that we see there and the way they're starting to kind of put things together and everybody seemingly healthy and good to go now with Bradshaw back and such. And so, I still think to me they're one A and one B. Um, you know, I'm. I hear all the stuff on Auburn. They've been my number three team for probably over a month now. Like I've, I put them in third when I've, I've ranked these teams. And um, just because I, I still think if you look at Auburn, right, it's the App State game. I said this at the time. I think a lot of SEC teams would have lost that game. I think it was more about App State than it was about Auburn. Um, credit to them for going and playing that game on the road. Yeah, but sure. if you take that out of the mix, right, They've got a six-point loss to Baylor in a game that they should have won on opening night. And really everything else, they've dominated their opponents. And so I think Auburn probably, you know, and I understand why some people are maybe putting them in that same conversation as Tennessee and Kentucky, but I probably give a slight edge to those two. Uh, Auburn right there behind them. And then, my goodness, so find some help for, to try to figure out the rest of the group because, you know, you're talking about what do you get consistently from Alabama? What are you getting consistently from A&M? Which I won't knock A&M as much because they've not been fully healthy, of course, for the Radford situation. And so I think if he was playing the entire year, I'd probably say it's Tennessee, Kentucky, A&M um, in some order. And he's just not, though. And so it's one of those things where I don't really know where to put them. I think those are the top five teams right now. But like I said, then you've got to sort of look around and say, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Ole Miss, like all these teams that have good records, they played well, 
Um, and then you've got the teams that we won't yet mention um, that have been disappointing. And I, I know that I'm trying not to say it up front. No, we're going to talk about this, them. But, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll save this for later. I, yeah, I know. But I, I didn't want you guys to get into it right away, but we'll talk about the teams that may have been a little disappointing. In but that's a long-winded way of saying Tennessee, Kentucky, and then try to figure it out from there. Yeah, no, we for sure. We're a little uh, self-aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very self-aware people where our team is right now. Uh, but let's talk about these other teams for sure. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, you, you broke that down really well on those two teams. Um, but I, I want to ask a couple of questions. For Kentucky, you know, we're hearing national coverage like crazy. You know, the, the talking heads over at SEC Network and ESPN have been raving about how this team is a national championship team. We were just talking to Dom in our last interview for this episode about the fact that they really don't have anything on their resume outside the North Carolina game. So why do you think other than just the pure talent that people are so big on this Kentucky team, like I'm getting bigger. I'm, I'm guilty also of putting in our poll, a, uh, a Kentucky number one vote right now, but from just like a perspective, this team is still very young. They haven't been challenged in a ton of Q1 challenges. Like other teams have, they've played tough games, but not massive, not a ton of them yet. Um, why do you think people are so high on Kentucky right now? Yeah, and, you know, I think those are good points because, right, like the Miami game, we thought we could lean on for much longer <laughs> than a month. At this point, it's like, well, Miami's still a good team, but I still think there's some, probably some flaws with that Miami team where that win may not look as impressive, you know, maybe a couple of months from now than it did when they did it in what, end of November. So um, I'll tell you, I think the reason why I've kind of had the – the flip of the switch with Kentucky is, and Max has pointed this out in our conversations we've had, is this team feels different in that, and you said it there, is they are pretty much all freshmen outside of, you know, Mitchell and Reeves, but they don't play like freshmen. Like, they don't – their mindset isn't freshmen. Like, they are just – and this is – I'll give credit to Max again for the word, but, like, they are a fearless group of freshmen that I think, like you said, they haven't played a lot of these teams yet. But what I have seen them do in the games that they have played against Kansas, Miami, North Carolina, in every single one of those games, they have met the challenge. And in the Kansas game, right, I think it's they lost that game. But let's be honest, like I came out of that feeling way better about Kentucky than I did going into it, just based on the fact that are they going to hit 12 threes every game? At the time, we said, well, I don't know. Now I'm like, Maybe because they, you know they're shooting forty two percent from three. They're one of the top three point shooting teams in the country. So I think that is the biggest part of this to me is we've seen them play against the upper tier teams, and there's not a ton of them on the schedule, not compared to an Alabama, um, you know, or Tennessee or teams like that. But there are a lot of these kind of data points already where we look at it and say, okay, they've clearly met the challenge against teams that are more experienced than them in, in many cases. Um, and I think it's the fact that the freshmen are leading the way, knowing that you've got Reeves who can go off at any time. Mitchell is playing a huge role. You're just getting Bradshaw back. Um, so, look, is this can we compare this Kentucky team to the one that was what undefeated years ago and lost to Wisconsin? I'm not going to go that far. But do I think this has a chance to be the team that kind of gets you know some pressure off of Cal's back a little bit? Yeah, just because I think that we've seen them already put it together when usually, you guys know, the conversation is like, all right, Kentucky's going to finally put it together in February. Well, they're already putting it together. And I know the Wilmington loss kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, but as we know, UNC Wilmington, future, I mean, SEC member potentially if they beat Arkansas on Saturday. I mean, it's just, I know you guys will be watching this after the fact, but we'll we be laugh there. about yeah. it. 
yeah, you, you'll be there. And trust me, I'm sure you'll discuss if that happens. But um, that's the difference for me with Kentucky is I just I see a different sort of mindset that you don't always see with freshmen. And it's not just one guy like it's multiple guys. And I think that to me has been the thing that separated this team from some of the recent ones he's had. Yep, for sure. And I don't mean to jump on you too. I'm going to be panicking every time White and Newbie have the ball in their hand uh, for that Wilmington game, for sure, like tonight. Uh, Maddie will be there as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, for sure. Um, Tennessee, though, we were talking about them a little bit also with Dom. When you look at Tennessee, to me, like the defense is still one of the best in the country. Um, it remains very good. Dalton Connect has added a little bit more to the offense this year. Analytics really like also their ability to convert a few more field goals than they did last season. When you look at Tennessee, how close do you think this Tennessee team is to a national conversation of being a national championship contender this year? Yeah, that's the thing too with Tennessee is like it's it's easy to be like, all right, well they're nine and three, and but you know as we all know, if you're watching and you see kind of how those games played out, sure they were like you know Alabama basically had the stretch of what Creighton, Arizona, and. I don't know why I can't think of the other team off the oh, top of my head. Purdue, Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Tennessee plays Purdue, Kansas, North Carolina. And, and so just the, the fact is, you know, playing that kind of stretch of games and, you know, they, they just didn't have it all together. Right. It's how many times have you played the North Carolina game a hundred times? I am willing to bet that 95 probably of those a hundred times, Tennessee's not giving up 61 points in the first half. Um, just happened to be one of those games where they did. And they scored 92, though. Like, I'd you know, be willing to bet maybe they don't score 92 in 95 of those games either. So, um, but but you said it. I think the difference with this Tennessee team, too, and why it's it's understandable why we should still be really high on them, is it does feel like they have a different dynamic offensively, and that is because of Dalton Connect. And we know he's been a little bit banged up, too, at times already this season, and, you know, that factors into certain things. And, sure, as we're talking – now he's gone on a streak where he hasn't hit double digits in recent games, but he hasn't had to. Um, you know, they've still got the guys around him, and I think that is the difference, is you're adding a guy like this who could wind up being one of the top five scorers in the SEC, probably will be by season's end, and you're pairing him with a group of guys who have played as many SEC games as anybody out there, not named Devo Davis probably, um, you know, in Zakai Ziegler, besides Jordan James, Santiago Vescovi, and those guys. So I think it's just to me, Tennessee has finally, hopefully, if you're a Tennessee fan, finally has the pieces that seem to fit together really well. And I think the biggest part of that is just having a much more consistent offense because we've always said it for the past several years. Right. It's just you're just waiting. You're setting your, your timer. You're like, all right, Tennessee's about to have one of those seven minute stretches where they're not going to score. Um, and the other team may not score either, but this is going to get ugly for about the next seven minutes because they're probably not going to score. And so. They've avoided that for the most part, um, and I think when we get into SEC play, we'll see that kind of magnify a little bit, um, just kind of in the, the state of the league this season. I think that's where they'll be able to separate themselves, knowing that, guess what? You're still going to hate to play Tennessee because the way they play defense, and people are still going to complain about it, and I understand, but they are what they are, um, and defensively, they're not going to be fun to play against as usual, and offensively, going to be even less fun to play against this season, just given the the added weapons they have there. Yeah, for sure. All right, Maddie, I believe you have the questions concerning the bottom of the conference uh, <laughs> this year for Blake. Uh, there's two teams we've really circled to put in this category. So yeah, I was about to say, I don't think it's going to shock you too much, Blake, but our two teams we're, we're looking at here going off the first one. Is there any hope for Vanderbilt at this point? Whew. Hope is a strong <laughs> That's word. That's a tough question, um, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, I'd like to look up the definition of that in the dictionary. Um, 
Boy, I I mean, I guess, you know, the easy response would be, hey, they lost by two at Memphis. And so there's got to be some hope after that. Um, so, sure, if they can build off of that, is there hope? Yes. Um, but the problem is, you know, you're not oh, – I was about to say – so you're not going to be playing the Western Carolinas and all that, but yeah, they lost to Western Carolina. Um, you know, they lost to Presbyterian. They lost the teams that they just had no business losing to. I think, you know, given the setting and everything, but if you want to use the excuse of they've not had their full team together all season, you're right. They haven't, um, you know, but, but it's really going to come down to Lawrence and Mignon. Like if they are, if at any point the rest of the season, one of those guys does not have a good game, they're going to lose. Like and, and I hate to say it that way, but if those two guys are not consistently producing at a very, very high level every single game, and then think about the pressure that that puts on them, um, they're going to really have a hard time winning SEC games, period. Um, you know, the good news for them, I think, is they get LSU twice, but, you know, LSU is going to be better now with Jalen Cook. And so, I mean, that's something you have to consider. And so I think when you look at it that way, there's not a lot of games you're going to look at on Vanderbilt's schedule and say they're going to – in all honesty, let's let's be real here. If I look at the entire SEC slate, there is not a single game that Vanderbilt's favored in right now, and I, there may not be a single game that they are an underdog by fewer than five points, um, which is just not something you want to be talking about given the way they finished last season. So is there hope maybe after the Memphis game, maybe they found something there? We don't know yet because we haven't seen a play since then. Um, you may have – since they're only going to play Dartmouth before they start SEC play against ooh, Alabama, which could get rough. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think the best answer is probably not this season, just because I don't think they have the roster. But who knows? Maybe Jerry Stackhouse pulls out um, another magic trick after the Memphis game like he did last year, and, and they find their way. But it's just it's hard to see right now. Gary Stackhouse is a great coach. It's getting the talent around him has been the kind of the problem for Vanderbilt yeah. I felt like the last couple of seasons. Um, so I do want to ask about LSU. Um, Jalen Cook's coming back, and that's great news for for LSU. Um, but overall, I know that LSU fans are getting a little bit frustrated for this season. What are for the rest of the conference played now that it's starting? Where do you kind of see LSU going? And then I, I'm sure the overall arcing question with LSU fans is just how much longer is this rebuild going to take? Because I know there was nothing really uh, when McMahon came into LSU and took that program over. So what are your kind of feelings on LSU right now? Yeah, I mean, listen, I came in the season. I'm like, I think they're going to be better than they were last year. But let's let's be honest, too. That wasn't a high bar to clear um, based on the fact that they were the worst team in the league last year. And so. I do think Jalen Cook is going to give them an offensive punch that they don't have because right now, what they've just been relying on, you know, superhero type games from Jordan Wright. Like they, they need him just to go off to even have a chance in some of these games. I think about the Texas game in particular, they look terrible in the first half, but second half, they made the game. Jordan Wright scores 33 points. Um, you know, Will Baker, another guy who it's off and on, right? It's, it's been a little inconsistent at times. And I think, that's, again, the problem, just like we talked about with Vanderbilt, is that the overall roster does not leave a lot of room for error. And, you know, if we were to have this conversation right now and they didn't have Jalen Cook, I'd be like, let's just let's call it what it is. LSU and Vanderbilt are the two worst teams in the SEC. I don't see it changing. Uh, but I do think there is a chance that LSU can make something out of this. Uh, I just don't know 
how much that's going to be because I still think they're a team that, like you said, roster-wise, doesn't feel like they're there just yet. And you know, that's the thing. It's every used to is like, okay, roster-wise, they're not here there. Well, let's give them two or three years and everything will be fine. But now it's like we know in the transfer portal era, you could flip your roster every offseason. Look at what Chris Beard's already doing. Um, just a lot of those kind of things. And so I like if I had a bet right now, I think they finish in the bottom four, but maybe there's some sort of confidence in saying, hey, maybe we're not 14th, maybe we finish 11th uh, or something like that. And maybe that's good enough for this season. Um, although it probably doesn't help LSU fans who are sitting around watching another certain coach uh, have some success at uh, his particular school right now, um, which I think we all know who I'm talking about there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good old McNeese state beating Michigan last night was, uh, was yeah. fun. I, I like the fact that me and you were both in the pick me group that we're in and we were both like, oh, McNeese state, all in. give me McNeese all in on state over Michigan. In yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I think that was my Christmas gift was uh trading resumes, uh, for LSU was to give them McNeese, McNeese state's uh, resume. All right. You mentioned Chris Beard and the success they're having over at Ole Miss. Let's get into these question teams a little bit. Now, Ole Miss and South Carolina, have been the biggest, I I want to call them surprises, but like overall, when you look at schedule, maybe not as much. Um, but Ole Miss and South Carolina have been excellent uh, throughout non-conference. How much longer do you think this goes on for these two teams? And which one do you think bottoms out uh, first uh, between South Carolina and Ole Miss? And which one's for real? Um, do you have any guesses there? Yeah, I mean, again, I, South Carolina fans, you can loop the conversation we had this summer on you. I don't know how many times I said this is definitively, without hesitation, the worst team in the SEC coming into the season. And as always, um, I always give you a, a nugget out there that you can chew on and be like, oh, Blake was completely wrong on that one. Um, because I do think South Carolina, I, I want to say they're not going anywhere, but then I'm like, they have to play the SEC schedule. And in all honesty, like the SEC schedule doesn't look that bad when you look at South Carolina's as compared to some other teams in the league. Um, and, you know, remember, they're only, they're only blemish on the resume at this point. Now, recording this before yeah. they play Florida A&M, uh, and I always hesitate because I'm like, somebody in the SEC is going to lose one of these holiday games. They shouldn't. It happens yeah. every year. Hopefully this is not the one um, where that happens for the Gamecocks. But Clemson's a really good team. And everybody else, South Carolina, sure, there have been some close games, but they found ways to win. And you can draw that same comparison to Ole Miss, right? It's – Ole Miss could play a Detroit Mercy, who is just a not a good team. They can also play a Memphis, and the scoreline could be the exact same, essentially. And that's what you've gotten at Ole Miss this year, is that pretty much everyone they played, the game has been close. South Carolina's played a lot of close games. They've won a lot of those close games. thing we talked about last year with Missouri, how they win 25 games? Well, other than the fact that they just did a lot of things well, you know, offensively, they had some superstars in Kobe Brown and Moy Hodge. They also managed to get the bounces their way and make the bounces go their way in close games. They had that ridiculous, I don't know, what, seven or eight, no, or something, games decided by five points or less. It feels like that's what Ole Miss and South Carolina are doing. They're just finding ways to win these close games right now. Now, once you get into the grind of the SEC, you know, you're playing multiple games a week against teams that are just going to beat you down physically because it's a physical league, as we know. Um, that becomes the question to me. And I think. Right now, I've had to pick one of the two. I do think Ole Miss probably has more staying power just because, and this is assuming they get Brandon Murray playing the rest of the season. Um, because, I mean, look, everybody was dogging on Max and I going into the season. Now, Max is, you know, carrying the 
the water for Ole Miss. Oh, he's he's uh, carrying the Ole Miss train right now. He he's the I conductor. don't know where he's the this guy. Yeah, like he is the conductor. Like it, it, it's just, I mean, he is one of those where he's making every stop and he's just pulling people on with him, like just trying to get anybody and everybody to join this Ole Miss train. But we said this summer. If Ole Miss has their entire roster, which at the time we were talking about Murray, we were talking about Cissé, and so forth, we're like, if they have everybody, they could legitimately be the team that we're talking about at the end of the season saying they're a top three team in the league. Potentially, maybe, if everything goes perfect. So the fact is, now I'm looking at a team that's 12-0. and 0, They do have that full roster. So I tend to think that they are going to, and they're going to get better defensively. And right now, they're not a great defensive team. But they're going to get better just because we know who the coach is. And so... I would probably lean towards Ole Miss, but South Carolina, I'm, I'm hesitant to jump off the South Carolina bandwagon just yet, even though they've not played a great schedule. I think those four guys, Meiji Johnson, B.J. Mack, Miles Studi, and Talon Cooper, I think those guys are just gamers. Like They have already kind of proven that they'll step up and they have great chemistry together. So maybe the answer is that I don't think either one of these teams are going to drop off. But I think Ole Miss has more of the, the, the higher ceiling than South Carolina. Maddie, do you want to ask about Arkansas? Because uh, you know, you are. I think oh, the boy. world knows my feelings on my uh, on my alma mater right now. So go <laughs> ahead, Maddie. <laughs> I mean, not particularly, but you know, we've talked about them ad nauseum in in our other episodes. So just to get a fresh perspective and let the people hear something other than us complaining about them, Blake, what are your thoughts right now on the Hogs and how in the world are they going to turn this thing around as we hit into conference play? Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, you know, as someone else who has been a, a frequent we, person we on all the... three in this room, I just want to throw this out there. All three of us liked Arkansas coming into the preseason. Yeah. And then it's just been rough. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw that no, out I... there to the world. <laughs> Again, if you want to loop a, a Blake clip that got it wrong, I said Tennessee and Arkansas were 1A and 1B coming into the season. Uh, that has not worked out this way. And, and there were people, many people on so social media that told me, what are you talking about? How are you going to possibly say this is a top two team in the SEC when they finish 8 and 10 last year uh, and blah, 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 all this other stuff? Um, there's still time to turn this thing around. You know, it's it's just the way it works. Again, we're just not used to seeing it this early. Like usually, it's this is usually this is the time where things start to go south for Arkansas. Um, is right now. You know, they'll start off whatever you know one and five in the SEC or zero oh, and whatever they were several years ago. Um, but the fact that we're already seeing it, it's a little more concerning because I think there are multiple issues. Um, chemistry. It's always the, the big question. Anytime you build a new team every year, you're always going to have questions if everything clicks together. Right now, I don't think everything's clicking together, whether that's just, you know, you could zone in on the guard play. Sure, you could and say, whatever reason, the guard play is just not clicking. Everybody's not sort of meeting the expectations that you thought in terms of the way it's all going to come together. Sure, you've got to cleave out and go off anytime. Or I always pronounce the first name. I, I apologize to Mr. Bowden, I've heard but, six different ways. Um, it's fine. Yeah, I know. So, um, you know, but everybody else, you know, yes, you're going to get what you get out of Shimon Mark. Um, and then, you know, again, it's everything else is a work in progress and not going to hate on my guy Devo. I know he's not had the best season, but I still think when it comes down to it, you're going to want him on the floor um, when you get into some of these SEC games because he's the guy with the most experience. And I think that's going to mean something. Is he going to put up the numbers maybe that we thought he was after seeing the way it's gone so far? Maybe not. Uh, but there's still a huge role in this team, I think, for him. 
Um, maybe it's not playing, you know, the type, maybe he's not playing 40 minutes a game or anything like that, where last year he was just the Iron Man, right? He's just always in there all the time. Maybe they figure out different rotations that work better. But I don't, you know, just, I'm not going to pinpoint him as the, the problem, although I've seen some people do that. And I just think it's, it's ridiculous because I think it goes way deeper than that. Um, but the, the biggest thing, if you just want to zone in on a statistic, to me, it's very clear what the difference is with this team. They're just not great defensively and they're not getting easy baskets. And that's been one of the criticism for, from us over the years. You guys probably know this. It's just sometimes their offense can be a little bit, not, not from a talent standpoint. It's just the way they run their offense and just the way it all kind of flows. It's not, it can frustrate you at times because you feel like there should be a little bit more and maybe a little bit more. I don't know what the word is um, structure. I think that's it. But they're not getting easier offense this year because they're not turning people over as much as they have in recent years. Right. And I think last year was the one of those where you, you'd see a situation where Devo go get two steals and all of a sudden the game just completely flips. It doesn't feel like they're getting those easy baskets this year. And I feel like this team needs a few more of those, but if they're not going to defend consistently, then that makes it hard to do. And so I, I don't, I don't know the answer right now. I really don't. Um, I think that, it's a lot of trial and error and non-conference play as always. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying to search for the right rotations. It's just been way more frustrating than I think we would have thought to this point. Um, really outside of the Duke game, right? Because even in some of the games they won, I mean, the Furman game, I thought they looked pretty good. Even in some of the other games they've won, like you've still been like, oh, man, is this it? Like, is this all we got to this point? And so you guys probably, you know, know better than I do in terms of like how you would rank the problems or the issues. but I think there's quite a few you can choose from right now, which is not a not a great thing to be saying as you're getting ready to start SEC play. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I've gone through every problem that I think I could see with this team. The, the thing is that I don't think they have a problem with is talent. It's getting the team yeah. that is is the problem. Like that's which is why we were all big on Arkansas coming into the season. Is like talent from talent perspective, it looks great. All right, Blake. Uh, let's get into some game previews. You are our first picker of SEC play this mm. season, so this should be pretty fun right here. Um, so we do have games going on right now, so I will update on YouTube with the graphic on where everybody stands. Of course, our guests are doing are beating us right now. I just broke 70% last week. So uh, guests right now sitting at 75%. They're kicking butt. Again, this is why we get good guests um, for fun perspective. But let's start with our game of the week. Tennessee versus Ole Miss uh, in Knoxville. Tennessee faces Ole Miss. This should be a top 25 matchup. Ole Miss, of course, as we just mentioned, undefeated at the time of recording. They do have a game against Bryant coming up. Volunteers, top 10 in the net. It's a quad two opportunity for the Vols. It's a quad op quad one opportunity for Chris Beard and company. Guys, what do you think is really like the significant factor uh, between Ole Miss and Tennessee in this game? Blake, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's really just seeing if, you know, Ole Miss can continue what I think has been a pretty surprising, yeah, it's surprising is probably the right word, like offensive start. Like, I think they've been better offensively than I thought they would be to this point. And now you go in, and, and we said it earlier, like you're playing a Tennessee team that's going to push you around. They're going to be physical. You're not going to get a lot of easy opportunities. Um, you know, and the fact is, like, it, it is stunning to think that, having the issues or questions we had with Ole Miss's offense coming in the season, not knowing who all was going to play and who wasn't, that they're a top 10 three-point shooting team. It's just, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, it's just, it's bizarre world. Like, I don't know how that happened, but they are. And 
you know, Tennessee, though, as we know, they will just make you take a lot of ugly shots. They'll force you into running offense the way way further out than you want to run it. Um, and so I think that's probably going to be a challenge for this Ole Miss team and what will be their first game away from home against an elite team, right? They played an elite team at home against Memphis, but this is just a different animal. And I think that's where you may start to see some of those things offensively take a little bit of a step back for Ole Miss, but they could also ugly it up and make this a rock fight. And, you know, maybe we see some of the old Tennessee offensive tendencies and this thing winds up being 58 to 56 or something. But I just, I tend to think this is going to be a little bit of a struggle for Ole Miss just in terms of finding type of offense they found against some of these other teams. I am praying for not a 58, 55 rock fight. That would mm. be some gross basketball to start the seat, start conference play out with uh, Maddie. What are your thoughts in this game? Yeah. So, you know, Blake mentioned it is at TBA, which I think is going to be huge for the balls. Um, the big thing that I'm keying in on is going to be Ole Miss defense. Um, their defensive rating isn't as good as Tennessee. They've got a negative rebound differential. So I think, you know, looking over kind of the Ole Miss team, um, really the only game I've paid much attention to in them this season is that game against Memphis. And their big hope and prayer was Jamarian Sharp. He really wasn't that impressive to me. And I think that's going to be, you know, who people are going to focus on and say, well, Jamarian Sharp's in there. He's seven foot tall and he's, you know, Gonna be everything he's the sec leader in blocks like i mean like i don't know what you mean like you need more to be impressed by with that he's he's an elite rim protector <laughs> yeah it, it was more his offensive style i guess and i don't think it's going to hold up well against tennessee <laughs> okay well i i do have the front court circled as an area of interest because of that rebound differential and the rim protection that uh, sharp does offer for old miss um but yeah balls are winning the boards at plus five a night so there's about seven rebound swing between these two teams. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting on how the game is played on the glass. Um, so let's get to the picks. Kim Palm has this 77-64 at 88% for the Vols. Now, I think this one's closer than what the computer's suggesting because I don't think the trend line is exactly right yet uh, for uh, Kim Palm and where they're adjusting to Ole Miss because I think they're a little bit better than their Kim Palm rating. But how do you guys see this one going and what's your pick in this game? Blake, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this will be a little closer than that number would suggest. To me, this feels like, you know, a, an 8-10 to 10 type win for Tennessee, something like that, where you know, Ole Miss does enough to to keep themselves in the game. And, um, you know, I think, again, whether it is the offense that just is able to crack through Tennessee's defense or maybe it is the Ole Miss defense that's able to kind of slow some things down or gets one of those traditional Tennessee lulls on offense, and that helps Ole Miss a little bit. But I think they'll they'll keep it close. To me, these are two teams that, again, will be pretty physical. Um, I am hoping that this does not turn into a free throw shooting contest in game one because it just we know in the SEC there will be plenty of those this year. We don't need to start oh, to yeah. you know slate off with one of those. But um, yeah, I, I take Tennessee probably eight to ten points, something like that. Maddie, who are you going with? Yeah, I'm going to go Tennessee as well. Uh, like you guys said, I think it's going to be a little closer. I was thinking somewhere. 75 to 68, 69, uh, the ball is taking the win. Uh, all right. So I'm going to make it a clean sweep on Tennessee, which we all know what that means. Uh, what's been the trend lately is when we're unanimous, things go the opposite direction. It seems like so, but I am going with Tennessee. Uh, logically, I, I do think the rebound and defense makes a huge, uh, impact in this game for the Vols. All right, Maddie, I think you got South Carolina and Mississippi state. Yep. So the next one we're going to tune into is South Carolina against Mississippi state is with some teams, it's been kind of a big surprise in the SEC with South Carolina. 
Uh, it's a Q1 opportunity for both teams. So what are you guys paying attention to and what are you thinking for this matchup? Boy, this it's wild to think that this is as good of a game as it looks like it is on paper because I would have never expected that probably. Um, I still think Mississippi State getting Toulouse Smith back, which I think as we're recording this, he's available against whoever that is their point, the Bethune, I think, um, Bethune Cookman, I think. So he's available to play. So this is exactly what I expected. Like maybe he plays a little bit, maybe he doesn't, but this is sort of let's ease him into it. He's got a week to get ready for SEC play. And then we kind of throw him into the mix against South Carolina. Well, I think the difference is going to be, I feel like if he's on the floor for Mississippi State, it obviously gives them a different dynamic than they have had to this point, and they've still been pretty good. Um, and, you know, you could also say, does it – well, you don't say it the wrong way, but, like, does it mess with the rhythm that they built to this point? You're never going to say that about a Tully Smith. You're not just going to say, oh, we're going to sit this guy down because we don't want to mess with, you know, what's gotten us to a 10-2 and two record. But initially, maybe that gives South Carolina a little bit of an opportunity to get off to a good start here and maybe, you know – Mississippi State still figuring some things out, working Tully Smith back in and doing certain things, playing with guys he hasn't played with, like a Josh Hubbard and such. So I, I do wonder if, if maybe that's why this game stays close, because I would expect it to be a close game. I, I can't imagine either team runs away with this. Um, but I don't know. I think Mississippi State's kind of the Tennessee to me, where it's just South Carolina is it's going to be a struggle playing against Mississippi State defensively, and now they get one of their you know best players back or their best player back on the floor, period. Um, I just think it becomes a little bit of a challenge maybe for South Carolina in this game. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Josh Hubbard because I've been impressed with Josh Hubbard uh, coming into the season. He was one of the freshmen who were ranked outside the uh, top 15 freshmen coming into the SEC, and he's played exceptional. Uh, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the conference uh, right now, which is really, really impressive. Um, but for me, this game, what really sticks out in my head is the fact that this is an important game for Mississippi State when you look at their uh, season that they got upcoming. Uh, they got Tennessee, Alabama, and Kentucky in that order, and Kim Palm has the Bulldogs losing all three of those games by a combined eight points. Uh, it, it's not inconceivable if Mississippi State were to lose to South Carolina with all those Q1 opportunities, this team being one in four in Q1 games, and you're just praying that Washington State plays well in Pac-12 play and stays in the top 50. Um, which right now they're sitting at 45 at time of recording. So it's very important for the Bulldogs to win this game. For South Carolina, um, you know, both defenses have played pretty well for both teams, um, but Mississippi State allows the third most steals in the SEC so far this season. So I'm looking for players uh, on South Carolina to make an impact like Zachary Davis uh, off the bench and Michi Johnson. Those are your um, those are your leaders for steals per 40 uh, for the Gamecocks. So those guys might be able to make a little bit of a contribution on the defensive end for South Carolina and create some fast break buckets. But Mississippi State does have a heck of a defense. And get, if Tolu Smith is available, which fingers crossed, we're hoping he comes back pretty soon. It's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah, my only big concern here is with Mississippi State, with Tolu Smith being a possibility of coming back, is, you know, not giving the team enough time to mesh and kind of figure out how things are going to change. Like you guys mentioned, Josh Hubbard has had an excellent year so far. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how they're going to play off each other. Um, as Tolu Smith gets incorporated back in and then Michi Johnson just having an absolutely amazing year so far for South Carolina. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup between the two, but let's go to the picks. Ken Palm has this game 68 to 67 at Mississippi state at 53%. Who are you guys picking? Blake, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, I'm going to go Mississippi State, and and one of the things I didn't mention and why I would probably go with them is, you know, teams are shooting 26.4% from three against Mississippi State. They're getting Toulouse-Smith back. Um, South Carolina has gotten most of their points from three. I mean, they're getting, I think, 36% of their points from three, just top 65, 70 nationally. They don't get a ton of the free throw line. They haven't gotten a ton inside the arc, and so if you're relying on that, South Carolina comes out, has a bad shooting night against the Mississippi State team that we know, as always, like they're just they're long, they're athletic, um, and they're adding again that they're, they're they're big player back into the mix is going to make it even harder to get easier shots um, inside the arc if they're not hitting from outside. So yeah, I just I like the way Mississippi State plays. You know, just in these kind of games, I feel like it's they can turn this into a grind, and South Carolina's played plenty of those, but I, I'd take Mississippi State to win this one probably. Yeah, I'm also going Mississippi State in this one. Uh, Love State's defense. I I think it's one of the best in the conference. All right, let's make it unanimous. I'm going Mississippi State as well. Um, (laughs) You know, like I said, I like the way that South Carolina has been so far, but I think this is where where we start to see them fall off when we dive into SEC play. It's 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 a it's a fun matchup. This is probably, as far from a computer standpoint, the closest one we're looking at. But we've got another good one here. Historically, Florida and Kentucky has been one of the best rivalries in the SEC over the years. And this year, it looks like Florida has a team that's becoming a little bit more promising this season. Uh, Kentucky has started to look better and better after the last few games. We've talked about them a little bit uh, previously in the show. What are you guys looking for in this matchup between Kentucky and Florida? Um, Whoever wants to go first, I'll just let you. I know Blake's probably tired of talking as much as he's been talking here lately. Uh, So whoever wants to jump ahead first. (laughs) I don't mind talking some more. Um, That's why I'm here, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think that with this is an interesting game to me because I'm, you know, like I said earlier, I'm all in on Kentucky. I think that they have they have it, whatever it is. Um, I just I think I've seen it to this point. But I'm also tell you that. I came into the season very high on Florida and, you know, early on, you're like, eh, four and three, are they going to be able to turn the corner? Since then they played a schedule that has allowed them to, you know, get healthy for one. Like they've gotten everybody back. I know Han Logdon missed one of the games. Of course, Poland was out in the Virginia game, which I think they would have won if they had him uh, there. We can play to what ifs, you know, all day, but the Michigan game to me, and I know we've seen Michigan lose to McNeese since then and all that, but, I think that told me a lot more about Florida and being able to win a game like that and see that the thing about this Florida team that we talked about is they've got multiple dudes, right? Like they've got multiple guys who can kind of take over a game and be able to give them, you know, that boost offensively while also having a team that defensively you've got a Tyree Samuel who is in there and just, you know, can block shots. You've got the same situation with Han Logdon. You know, Alex Conner had a good game in that one, too. And so I think you're seeing the front court for Florida start to step up and play well together uh, now that everybody's on the floor. But that backcourt, you know, with those guards, I think with the four specifically that we all talk about, I think it sets up really nice for you for Florida here. Game one, if this was in Rupp, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, game one of SEC play, tough situation. But the fact is, this is Kentucky coming to your place in what is only the second true road game for Kentucky this season. And, oh, by the way, the first one's at Louisville, which doesn't even qualify anymore. Um, you know, that's a home game, basically. Yeah. I, Louisville fans aren't going to like I, that. I saw but, the stands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is. And, it, again, I, that, that's terrible for Louisville, given the rivalry. But I think this is a great opportunity for Florida to kind of get themselves 
a signature win, which they also are another team that just kind of left a lot of wins on the table, um, whether it's Virginia game, the Baylor game, you know, the Wake Forest game was ugly. I don't know why. I just I think this is kind of a great setup for Florida, and I think it's going to really be one of those things where they rebound it really well um, with the, the size, like we mentioned, and just their ability to make shots consistently. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a very exciting game on paper just when you look at what these two teams can do offensively. Matty, do you have any thoughts on this one? And I'll go fast in the Mizzou-Georgia game to save us a little bit of time. <laughs> so, I mean, with with Florida and Kentucky, I know Blake mentioned earlier um, the freshmen haven't looked like your general true freshman, and that's been the thing for me. You know, I've always been concerned about freshmen, but I feel like their basketball IQ, um, you know, you kind of transfer that from high school to college, and it, it's just different. But – there's just kind of been on point. So, you know, I'm feeling a little stronger about Kentucky and their young team um, with Antonio Reeves kind of leading the way, doing a fantastic job. My big concern with this game, I think, is going to be Kentucky with their fouling. Florida is terrible at the free throw line. You know, that's my big thing is, you know, free throws win basketball games. But when you're shooting at a 66% flip and, you know, there's been some games that it's been much, much lower than that. That's what concerns me here with Florida. I think they're going to get fouled a lot. It is home court. And if they can't convert from the free throw line, it could get them into trouble. All right, so let's jump to the picks here on this one. This is a Q1 chance for both teams. Kim Palm has this one. Razor thin, 86-85 at 51%. Best road test of the season for Kentucky so far. Uh, and a chance to prove yourself if you're the Gators. Who are you guys picking? Blake, I'll start with you because I'm very interested in hearing given that preview that you just gave. Yeah, you know what I'm going to do here? And, um, you know, the fact is we're recording this on December the 30th. Yeah. So, that's so by the time idea. I'm going to, I may end up hedging this because I'm like, you know, when we do our picks on Southeastern 14, I may go with the other team, but I'm going to give myself that out. I'm going to take a chance and pick Florida here um, because it. I just think this is one of those scenarios where, again, you just kind of, it's the setup, right? It's Kentucky is everything's going right for Kentucky. Um, but I think Florida has found some momentum. And I think that Michigan game was a huge boost confidence wise. They've got everybody, you know, healthy, good to go. I think that guard group comes out, makes some shots, maybe puts Kentucky on their heels a little bit early. Um, and yeah, I, I think Kentucky's the better team, but the better team doesn't always win. So upsets happen in the SEC. We see it every year. I'll take a chance on picking Florida in this one. There's nothing wrong with taking an upset swing. I took one last last week or two weeks ago, and I missed big time. So go ahead, <laughs> um, Maddie. Uh, your pick. <laughs> you know, it's it's a coin flip for me, honestly. But I'm gonna go with Kentucky just because you know, in the last couple of games I've seen Florida play, they haven't been super convincing for me. So I'm I'm gonna go Kentucky with this one. I am actually going to go Florida with Blake on this one. Uh, I think that the O'Connell Center, it can be a very good environment when the team is good. Um, it can be one of the better road trips in the SEC. Uh, this is the first big road test for this Kentucky team. And if the environment's great, I think it can make an impact. And then additionally, also, you've got a Florida team that I do agree has play, played very well, refused to lose that Michigan game, took it into two overtimes, played very tough. Now, say what you want about Michigan, but that to me was a culture momentum winning uh, building win. So I'm with Blake on this. I'm actually, I, I won't be surprised if I'm wrong, but Florida, I'm taking Florida at home in this one. Uh, that's that's where I'm rocking in this. All right, so we'll go fast on this one. Mizzou takes on Georgia and Columbia. Bulldogs have been winning a lot lately, but without any real standout wins. 
Meanwhile, Mizzou has lost their last three at time of recording. What, to me, this is kind of a question of what can Mizzou do to get right, but I'll ask you guys, what are your picks in this one? Kim Palm has it 73-71 at 58% for Mizzou. Q2 chance for Georgia, Q3 chance for Mizzou. What are you thinking and who's your picks? Blake, we'll start with you. No, I have no idea. What this is a gross teams. game. Uh, <laughs> this this is, like yeah. It, yeah. I, I wish I was talking about Dennis Gates the way I was last year. Um, but, like, I don't know what to expect here because Georgia's a team I think that's been a little under the radar. Like, I, yes, they haven't really played anyone of note, but, like, I don't think they've played a bunch of just terrible teams. And they've managed to win, you know, all those games. And, you know, but, again, their, their best one at this point is Wake Forest. Missouri, meanwhile, they, like I said earlier, they just don't have the same offensive punch they had last year. That's been the difference. They're still a defensive liability at times. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things they don't do well defensively. They still have their issues rebounding. But they just don't have that standout area offensively like they did last year. The numbers were so efficient. They shot it so well from three. Um, they just don't have all that this year. And so – I would probably still give them the nod because it's at home. This is, again, one of those games where if it's a coin flip game, give me the home team, I guess, even though I took Mississippi State against South Carolina. I think that's a different two two teams that are a little bit higher on the, you know, on the ladder than these two are. Um, so give me Missouri. I don't have a great feel for this game. I could easily see Georgia winning this one um, just because I think they've been a little undervalued, probably a good defensive team. They'll make this a grind for a Missouri team that's just not great on offense right now and still hasn't really figured out. Uh, I think the right mix uh, that's going to kind of push them anywhere near where they were last year. Maddie, who do you got? I'm going to preface this by saying the only reason this is coming out of my mouth is because they are the home team and I'm going to pick Mizzou. If it were anywhere else, I think Georgia takes the win, but I feel like the fans are going to show up in Columbia and that might give them a little bit of an edge. All right, so I'll be the uh, I'll be the one who's a little bit different because I do think this game's close enough to warrant another pick uh, as well. But I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Georgia in this. Uh, I'm looking at rebounding. That to me is gonna be the biggest factor for this Mizzou, one of the worst teams again in rebounding this season. Next year should be better. Um, but uh, you know Georgia's got a couple of guys who can rebound on this team. They do a pretty good job, and they've got momentum right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rock Georgia in this as my pick for an upset on the road. Uh, I'm gonna take the Bulldogs here. Maddie, you got the Arkansas-Auburn game. Next up, we've got a clash Ugh. in Walton Arena. Auburn hitting the road to face Arkansas. Auburn's been a pretty solid team so far this season, and I feel like they've played well against some of their tougher competition during the non-conference. So what are you guys thinking about this game? This may be hedge part two on my – Yeah, I get it. Um, I get it. No, there, there's my... total reason. Like, like I said, this is what happens when you record a couple of days out when game's going on today. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – this is one where, again, if you look at everything as a whole, there should be no reason other than one, which I'll give you in a minute, why I should pick Arkansas in this game. Um, because Auburn statistically has just been so good in a lot of different areas. They're a top 20 team, and it comes to offensive and defensive efficiency. Like, they have just been – again, at times, I think Auburn has been undervalued, even as a team that the computers love them and all that. But um, – Yes, I really like the way Auburn's been playing. They've just beaten down teams other than the you know two games they've lost. They, they've beaten teams the way they should beat them, um, minus the App State game. And so I think that you see how they're coming along on both sides of the floor. They do a lot of things well. Meanwhile, there's Arkansas, who we talked about that not doing a lot of things well right now. Um, haven't really figured it out, but this is kind of, to me, the same. It's not the exact same, but it's somewhat similar to the Florida-Kentucky game in that 
the home team really needs something here to start SEC play. They really need this as bad as anything, right? Kentucky would love to beat Florida. They don't need it as much as Florida needs it. Auburn would love, you know, I'm gonna love to beat Arkansas. They don't need it as much as Arkansas needs this game. So I think I'm just gonna go all in on motivation here in terms of like a team just willing itself to victory. Um, and I don't love the matchup for Arkansas by any means because I think Auburn's really good, but maybe this is another Duke type scenario where Arkansas just puts it all together to open SEC play. I will tell you right now, I think there's gonna be a combined 50 or more free throw shot in this game. Um, because I feel like that's always the case with Arkansas and Auburn, but give me the hogs in this one. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to reiterate my point from a couple of weeks ago. Arkansas has got to win a couple of these Q1 and Q2 games. We heard Dom reiterate my point a little while ago when we were talking about bracketology in the other interview. Um, you've got to win some of these that are coming to big Walton, Bud Walton this month. Has, has to happen. Uh, Auburn is your first chance. What I'm concerned about in this game is three-point shooting. Hogs' three-point defense has not been the best. Now, shot quality has done their breakdown on Arkansas, and some of it has just been straight-up bad luck, but, like, other times it's just been terrible perimeter defense. Uh, so which team you're going to get? And you got guys like Aiden Holloway and Denver Jones who can shoot the ball for Auburn. Uh, so a little bit of concern there. Uh, but I'm also worried about freshmen like Aiden Holloway coming into an environment like Bud Walton Arena, which is one of the toughest to play in, and the SEC. So I'm interested to see how he handles that. Uh, I'm I'm going to go. Let's just go ahead. I'm going to pick Auburn. I haven't picked an Arkansas game right this season. So um, I'm, I'm going to go Auburn. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Um that's that's my thought. Maddie, what are you thinking here? All right. I mean, Ken Palm's got this game at 79-74, going to Auburn at 66% confidence. You know, Blake picked Arkansas, David picked Auburn. I'm kind of like, I don't I don't know what to do with my hands. I really want Arkansas to win this game. I'm, I'm gonna go Arkansas. Just picking with my heart instead of my head. I mean, at some point you would expect Arkansas to turn something around. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Like that's there's no good reason to pick them other than you just have faith in Musk. Like that's really what this comes down to at this point. All right, last two games. We'll go I've through. said so many times this season so far. I'm hoping our January slump is what has just happened, and yeah. you know maybe I'm speaking this into fruition that our January slump is done now. Well, hopefully my continuous trend of here lately will picking against Arkansas might start working. So um, we'll we'll see what happens there. All right, last two games. We'll go real fast on these because I know we got basketball to watch today. All right, first up, Alabama heads to Ver Vanderbilt. Guys, we're Alabama. looking for this one. Yeah, I was about to say, Blake, <laughs> all day long. Matty, are you going the same? Yeah, Vanderbilt yep. is not, not going not gonna to be able to handle Alabama. So Alabama is going to get a, an easy win here. I'll just throw the up my question random. maybe how many points does Alabama score? That may yeah, be the bigger. That might be over a, under 100. Yeah, let, we'll do that real fast. Uh, yeah, for sure. I just want to reiterate my point is that Kim Palm likes Liberty to beat Alabama better than they like Vanderbilt to beat at home Alabama. So like that's that's absolutely crazy. Um, so, yeah, I'm also going Alabama in this one. Guys, over or under 100. Let's go ahead and just uh, <laughs> just play that real fast before we talk about Texas A&M LSU. Blake, what do you I'll got? Go 90, I'll go 95. So give me give, give me the under. I won't go quite to 100. 107. <laughs> uh i'll go i'll go 102 alabama 102 um but of course also blake might be right memorial is also one of those weird places to shoot so we'll, we'll see how it goes 
All right, last one um, with our another bottom feeder team, Texas A&M versus LSU. Again, I don't think we're all going to be too different on this one. Uh, who do you guys have? Why? All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take A&M in this one. Like I said, I, I think it's it's been different without Tyrese Rafford and, you know, whatever the update we get on that situation. You know, if they get him back, they're a top three team in the SEC. Um, they've got Wade Taylor who can just go off at any time and, I do think this is probably, to me, way more about LSU because I want to see how they play against a top-tier team with Jalen Cook and, and what that gives them in terms of being competitive here. Um, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest storyline, but I, there's no way I could pick against A&M. Yeah. Maddie, who do you have? I'm going Texas A&M as well, and the why is, like Blake said, Wade Taylor. I am going Texas A&M in what will be certainly a better game than Vanderbilt-Alabama uh, is my thoughts on this one. Um, but I didn't – Wake Blake, I'm interested in what Cook's going to offer, and I'm also interested to see how Will Baker plays uh, in this game against what's a smaller rebounding team. Texas A&M, very good rebound of the basketball, but they do it by committee, which has been their kind of trait for the last couple of seasons. All right, guys, any final thoughts, news around the league, uh, or other games you're interested in this week? We'll go around the horn here. Blake, uh, anything to add? No, like I said, this is um, always a fun time of year. I mean, it's, it's again, where we really start. And I think the matchup's work out great on like opening day in SEC basketball because you are getting some of these teams where it's like, all right, let's see if you're as good as you look to this point, right? It's seeing a South Carolina host Mississippi State. Let's see if an Auburn go in and beat an Arkansas team that's been slumping. Like, let's go look at all these different kind of storylines. It sets up really nicely, I think, the schedule, aside from the last two games we talked about, um, just to see what some of these teams are made of in game one in SEC play. So, yeah, it should be should be very uh, fun, I think, to see how these play out. Absolutely. Maddie, any final thoughts? Yeah, you know, excited to see kind of what happens today, how everything shakes out before we get into official conference play. But I'm, I'm just excited to get SEC basketball back in back in a rhythm. I was about to say, it's, it's the fun time of the year, 100%. I want to thank Blake so much for being here today. Blake, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and the great stuff you guys do over at Southeastern 14. Yeah, David, man, like I said, you, you do a great job, and I always enjoy watching uh, your stuff, so thanks for having me on. And, yeah, you can find us uh, on YouTube as well, Southeastern 14. You can check out all of our daily SEC basketball stuff we have uh, going up there with Max, as we mentioned earlier, and Chris Lee as well. And so, yeah, find us there and uh, everything else. You can find me tweeting, uh, not frequently, uh, at the Blake Club. Yep. Great stuff they do over there. You really should check them out. Also got some great gambling tips coming out of Max every now and then as well. Blake's a great follow. Uh, Max is a great fall. They're all great guys over there. They do some really, really good work. All right, guys. Well, thanks for checking out the show today. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to the show on YouTube and follow us anywhere you get your podcast. We'll be back next week to recap the first weekend of conference play. Thank goodness it's here and return to normal scheduling now that the holidays are over. Until next time, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Have a great week.